Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Each week we want to do a sign for the week. And um, it's, it'll just take a minute and it'll be along the, the topic. And so this week... Because we're dealing with the atonement, the topic is covered. And so uh, they will demonstrate what the word covered means to us. So on, on the screen there, I've got at one mint, which is kind of God reconciling us. But the best translation of atonement is actually covered. So each week you will learn a new sign. You will be tested at the end of the year. And God help us if we're not covered. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, this week we take a look at the Feast of Atonement. Uh, What is atonement uh, with reference to the Scriptures? Well, certainly... The word atonement occurs quite frequently in the Old Testament and is quite a key concept in the Scriptures. And we know and we maintain as followers of Christ that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament, especially when it comes to the human need for salvation. But what is it and what does Jesus have to do in this theological concept of atonement. Well, many people think that atonement uh, began with uh, God handing down the Mosaic law down to Moses. But friends, it um, happened way earlier than that uh, with Adam and Eve that committed the first sin. And they tried to hide from God, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They try and hide from God. And uh, We know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. We know that He's omnipresent and is everywhere. Yet Adam and Eve are so engrossed in themselves that they try and hide from God. And rather than giving up as hopeless, these people, God initiates the plan of atonement. Not that that it was plan B, but it was uh, from the beginning. And I'm not supposed to understand those concepts. But as we, we see this, this distorted relationship between God and humanity, God takes the initiative and uh, offers the first sacrifice. And so how does this atonement work? Well, God provides an animal and the animal skins to cover Adam and Eve uh, in their nakedness. And it was the death of a sinless animal. Now, folks, that's an important concept. Not the death of any animal, but a, a pure animal, as it were. A pure animal, an unblemished animal uh, that would be able to uh, reconcile them back to God. And the shedding of that spotless animal's blood, as we read in chapter 3, verse 21. And so the, the Hebrew word for atonement is the word kapar, which means to cover to cover as we learn today. And so that's the literal translation. And it's, it's the atonement of sin, the covering of sin. 
And so when God looks at you and me, he sees us as broken people. In Jeremiah 79, which I'll remind you in a few minutes, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Well, because our hearts are wicked, we need redemption. There is a schism between God and humanity, and it is the atonement that reconciles us back to God. And so we read about it in the Old Testament, how this Old Testament covering is achieved through the blood of an innocent animal. And as the people uh, offer or give the animals, so Aaron goes into the, the Holy of Holies and offers that blood of the innocent animal for the salvation of the people so they can be redeemed. So here we have this concept of uh, illustrion uh, in the New uh, Testament, this propitiation, this atoning for a victim, therefore the covering. The atoning for a victim, therefore the covering. And so you begin to see Jesus uh, and the atonement, the way, where, where Jesus uh, becomes that one, that perfect one. You see, for the, the sins in the Old Testament, it had to be an unblemished lamb. But in the New Testament, it had to be, and folk, I, I battle about you know this. Why must, um, and the only way I got this was about four, four and a half years ago, we were in Cyprus in my aunt's village. And, uh, you know, they, they're pretty, um, they're not backward, but they, they're pretty natural the, the way they do things. They don't go to Woolies and buy a, a chicken. They've got chickens running around, so my aunt would go there, 75 years old. She grabs a chicken. Within three minutes, it's clean and ready to go into the pot. The chicken is still steaming, you know, and is ready to go into the pot. And you kind of go, what's going on here? This poor chicken. And then she grabs a rabbit, which is the size of a jolly little dog, you know. And I'm going, oh, how cute is this little rabbit? Oh, sweet, you know. She puts it down. Three minutes later, it's skinned and ready to put in the pot. Innocent little animal. And I finally began to get it. No longer do we have to offer innocent animals because of my stupid sin. Why? Because Jesus did it once and for all for you and for me. That rabbit and that chicken still land up in the pot. But praise God, not for my sins or your sins, but for our pleasure. Starting to get the concept? Jesus did it once and for all. And humanity needed somebody like that. One who knew no sin to become sin for us. Because we owed a debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Get it? My sins, I could never get redemption for. But he paid my, the price for my sin so I might be set free. In fact, in Genesis 3 verse 15, we read about it with the first prophetic glimpse of God's final solution to this need comes to pass. We call that in theology, we call that protevangelium, the first time the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is spoken about without the mention of Christ. And it says that there will be one who will come 
and whose heel will be bruised, but will crush the head of the evil one, Satan. He will crush the head of the snake, representing Satan and the devil. But his heel will be bruised for you and for me. Folk, it is huge. You know what I got while I was preparing this? God, in His grace and mercy, has revealed that to us who know Jesus Christ. There are heaps of people, I was going to say billions of people out there, who don't know Christ, yet by His grace and mercy He has revealed Himself to us. The word revelation is a beautiful word. It's the word apocalypsis, where we get the English word apocalypse. Apo from Calypto, veil, he comes and he unveils himself to you and to me, and we get it. And so, because we get it, this concept of atonement, it's caught rather than taught. It's caught rather than taught. So, when you begin to see what Christ has done for you, and his heel will be bruised, and the serpent's head will be crushed, it's for you and for me. What a mighty revelation. And I pray to God that that revelation has, has become so meaningful for you and for me. In Isaiah 52 verses 13 to chapter 53 verse 12, there is this uh, beautiful presentation, a cruel presentation, but a beautiful presentation of what Christ will do for you and for me. Because he is the subject of Isaiah's prophecy. And that whole uh, idea that, that Christ will come and will be given for you and for me, that suffering servant on your behalf and on my behalf. And though innocent of all sin, Jesus stood in our place, shedding his blood. No wonder we read in, in Hebrews 9, 12, he entered the most holy place once and for all. So that innocent animal doesn't have to die because of my stupidity. I go and have a great time and I commit sins and I, I do all the crazy things. And the next day an innocent animal must die because of me. Here Christ comes and he does it once and for all. Once and for all. An innocent person who does not deserve to go to the cross goes to the cross for you and for me. Once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Those three words strung together are so powerful. Obtained eternal redemption. The word obtained there uh, is the word evrisco, where we get the English uh, idea of eureka. I found it. I've obtained it. I perceive it. It's like it goes on. It's... The revelation comes to pass, as it were. It's, it's just, I get it. And what has he done? He has revealed eternal, eonios, where we get the English word eon, eternal, no ending, redemption. And the word redemption, deliverance from sin. That's what he's done for you and for me. Now, folk, in the New Testament, there are two words for sin or, or for uh, yeah, sin. The one is S-I-N, where it's got to do with the, the curse in the beginning. Jesus came and did away with that S-I-N, that curse of sin. 
but we still commit S-I-N-S. We still commit S-I-N-S. And so you see how magnificent Christ's redemption is for you and for me, where not only do we, uh, does he do away with S-I-N, that curse, but he does, he, there is a forgiveness of sins on a daily basis. The sins that we commit and the stuff that we're supposed to do, so the sins of commission, and the sins of omission, we still have forgiveness. We still have forgiveness. And that's what Christ has accomplished for us. And that by the sacrifice of this human person. And folk, he was rejected. He was put away for you and for me. And he satisfied God's wrath against sin. Friends, in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, we see this whole idea that there is peace with God through faith. Peace with God. And that whole idea is spoken of there. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. That word in the King James Version is the word atonement. Atonement. The topic for today. In Romans 11.15, it says, For it, if, they, if, if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That you and I as Gentiles have been grafted in to have the favor of God and for Him to be on our side. In fact, in John 15, He says we are no longer servants, but He calls us friends. Wow. Friends. Not mates, friends. It's got to do with love. He loves us. And that just is so mind-blowing. Beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. And I'll focus on this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And folk, this word through is the word via which actually has to do with, uh, it's got to do around this whole concept. It's the reason why we've been reconciled. So, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this word reconciliation has got to do with the atonement and has got to do uh, with exchange. It's the Greek word katalahi and it's powerful. The word kata according to alahi change. There is a major change that takes place. So when God looks at you and me, He doesn't see us as guilty because we are covered. It blows my mind, this concept. He doesn't look at us as guilty, but He sees us as unguilty, not guilty. <laughs> he doesn't see us as having uh, a debt to owe or owing a debt. He sees us as financially good. So there are two beautiful concepts there, a business concept where 
You owed money you couldn't pay. In other words, you were in the minus. Not a good place to be in the minus. And he comes and he turns it into a plus. From a legal perspective, we were guilty. He comes and covers us and we are found not guilty. Wow, who does that for you? Go to your bank manager tomorrow morning. Do not do this. And say, that minus sign on my mortgage, can you turn it into a plus sign? And then call me to visit you in the mental asylum. Because the reality is that that doesn't happen. But from a spiritual perspective, we're talking about eternal ramifications here. That's exactly what happens. The Bible says in verse 21, God made him who had no sin, no rebellion, no mistake, no, um, no wrong path of unrighteousness. He made him to be sin for you and for me so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, when we are guilty, he turns us into not guilty. So what does he do? He takes that position of us being not acceptable to God and turns it into a position that we are acceptable to God. We are acceptable to God. Now, folk, you say to me, well, I'm not too bad. I've not committed murders. I haven't been too bad in my life. That's not the point. All you need to do to drift away from God is nothing. We say that again. All you need to do to drift away from God is nothing. By nature, our position is one of rebellion. Our position is not one of saying, how can I help everybody? No. Our disposition is one of favor with God when he reveals himself to you and to me. That's a fact. That's a fact. No wonder in the Great Exchange, a book by Bridges and, and Bevington, they write, the cross where the God-man Jesus Christ traded places with the sinners he redeemed, exchanging his perfect righteousness for their sin, condemnation, and death. It's because he loves us. It's because he, he wants to be with us. And that's what he has accomplished. Folk, not with silver or gold, but with his life, with his blood. There's a picture there of a bird, a duck. There's an article that I read in the National Geographic from a national park. And these forest rangers begin their trek up a mountain to assess the damage uh, that takes place in this park. One ranger found a bird, literally the story goes, petrified in ashes, perched on the ground at the base of a tree. Somewhat sickened by the eerie sight, he knocked it over and the bird, or he knocked over the bird with a stick that had burnt to death in this fire. When he pushed the bird over and there were three tiny chicks scurried from under their dead mother's wings. The loving mother, keenly aware of impending disaster, had carried her offspring to the base of the tree and had gathered them under her wings. She could have flown to safety but had refused to abandon her babies. 
When the blaze arrived and the heat scorched her small body, the mother had remained steadfast. Because she had been willing to die, those under the cover of her wings would live. Likewise, Christ gave his life to save us from the disastrous fire of sin. That's what Christ does for you and for me. And so let's take a look in closing at what this atonement accomplishes. Number one, God replaces my fault and my blame with his favor and blessing. And that's what uh, Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 53 verse 6, 750 years before the incident on the cross. We read, we all like sheep have gone astray. And the word gone astray there in the Hebrew tavah means we've been seduced and deceived. We've been deceived. We thought something was good for us, but instead we've been deceived. We've been led astray and not even know it. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The fault, the iniquity, the wrongdoing of you and me was laid upon Jesus Christ. In our lost condition, he paid the price for your sins and my sins. You've heard me tell the story before. When we go to the beach in Cottesloe and we plant our umbrella in the sand, and we walk down, I say to Michael, our son, I say, son, look up every 10 minutes to see where the umbrella is. You'll see your fat dad under it as well. Look, because before you know it, the current has taken you one way or the other way away from the line of the umbrella. What do you need to do for that to happen, son? Nothing, dad, nothing. You see, sin does that to us. We have this embedded nature that is rebellious. We are not good people. No matter how much we try, there is a rebellious nature. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful. It's crooked. It's polluted. It's not good. Folk, I'm not insulting you. It's a fact. It's a fact. The quicker we begin to understand it, the quicker I realize that, you know what, I'm not good in, in my own devices. And all I need to do to stay in rebellion with God is nothing. I don't have to go out of my way to rebel against God. By nature, I am rebellious. So he carries on. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our nature is one of rebellion. But the Bible talks about the grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, we read in Titus 2, verse 11. So God's grace is profound in all of this. He is the one that initiated salvation. Uh, he is the one that uh, gives us his favor and blessing. He takes on my fault and blame. In fact, there's a difference uh, between grace and mercy, and let me briefly explain that. Mercy is God withholding what we deserve. God withholding what we deserve. Because we're rebellious, we deserve His wrath. So this concept that God uh, only loves, yes, it's true. But He loves us so much. I, I've got a 13-year-old son and I love him very much. But if I see 
that he's out of line, I need to, in love, discipline him. Comes through the form of a baseball, no. Um, it's a joke. <laughs> and so I need to say, son, you're out of line. You're out of line. So this whole idea is that he, God withholds his wrath against us, mercy. Not only does he do that, but he goes even further. He gives me his grace, his favor to be called his child, his child, his friend. Wow, that's a loving God. That's a loving God. And the least I can do is respond to him in favor, in, in a life that's pleasing to him. It's beautiful what Chris Tomlin uh, writes, and I won't sing it to you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Now listen to the chorus. Amazing love. How could it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. Wow. Taking my sin, my rebellion, my wickedness, and my fault and blame, and replacing it with his favor and blessing. Secondly, God replaces my mess and ruin with his mercy and reconciliation. With his mercy and reconciliation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 21, him who had no sin to be sin for us. He who was perfect without fault takes my junk upon himself and replaces it. And the, the punishment that I deserve goes upon him. Bible says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live righteousness. That's 1 Peter 2, 24. He paid the price for you and for me. Now friends, we can get into, was it propitiation or was it substitution? That's not the point. The point is I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Why? So he could be reconciled, so we could be reconciled back to one another. That crown of thorns that was put on his head, that back that was shredded, those, those nails that were driven in his hand and in his feet for you and for me. Those six hours that Jesus endured on the cross, that pain for you and for me. And then we hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me behind, is what the Bible says. Why? Because that had to be done. So atonement took place. We'll never fully understand it, but we begin to praise and thank God for His goodness and His love. Because not only does He show us His mercy, but He gives us His grace as well. And then thirdly, God replaces my blameworthiness and untruthfulness. In other words, my wickedness, if you like, with His blamelessness and uprightness. Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Are like filthy rags. 
the words filthy rags are, uh, it's a terrible word. I cannot mention it in a congregation. But uh, it, it, that's the, when God looks at us and sees what we try and do to earn salvation, he sees that as filthy rags. Filthy rags. But instead, we respond in, in adoration because of what he has done for you and for me. Takes that, that blameworthiness and that untruthfulness and he turns it into righteousness and uprightness. Wow, what an exchange. What an exchange. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. By what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary, we have righteousness. And the word righteousness, we're put in a position of right standing with God. We are justified. The word justified, justification, just as if I never sinned. So when he looks from heaven, he sees not a guilty, fat pig. He sees that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. He does not see a person who is rebellious. He sees me as not guilty. My response is to live a life pleasing to him in praise and adoration. In praise and adoration. He has set us free so we might be able to live a life that's pleasing to him. He paid the price that we might be free. Let me end off by telling you a story about Ahmed Shah. He was a famous ruler of Afghanistan. The nation had been wrecked by conflict among tribal leaders, but the Shah brought peace. Legend has it that the Shah led the people to a secret valley that he had discovered on his travels, a vast plain bordered on all sides by sheer cliff faces. To protect their new peaceful way of life, it was imperative that no one reveal the hidden passageway into the plain. One day, Ahmed Shah was approached by a very nervous lieutenant. Shah, we caught someone revealing the location of the secret passageway. The traitor was Ahmed Shah's mother. Ahmed Shah was distraught. He could release Ahmed's mother, kill the soldiers who captured her, and hushed the whole matter up by killing the guards who raptured or captured her. But all chaos would break loose once word of, his, of this got out. Shah decided he would think it over during the night and announce his decision in the morning. When morning arrived, everyone gathered in the square. Ahmed announced his mother must receive a hundred lashes, which would almost certainly mean her death. Ahmed's mother was marched into the square and bound. The first two lashes already saw her bloodied and buckled. Ahmed could bear it no longer. He halted proceedings, untied his mother, and carried her to his room. Then emerging from his hut, he demanded that no one move. He had something to say. He then addressed the crowd. The penalty for my mother's crime was 100 lashes. She has paid two of them. I will pay the other 98. By the end of Ahmed's, by the end, Ahmed was at death's door, beaten, bloodied, and bruised. For some weeks, it was unclear if he would survive. He did survive, 
And his people never forgot this act of loving grace. Friends, that's the Savior that you and I serve. He paid the price for you and for me. He atoned. He bought our redemption, not with silver or gold, but by his blood. So we can survive and we can rejoice. I pray to God that this has been revealed to you. And as it's been revealed to you, you will begin to enjoy the privilege of being called a friend and a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, your word tells us that you died for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we don't deserve it. But we thank you, Lord, that you paid the price to set us free. You took on the debt that we owed and you paid it in full, Lord. You've made us not guilty and set us free. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.